Hey, Dan, what do you know about fintech? You know, Nick, not much, really. But you know who knows fintech? John Reynolds. John Reynolds knows fintech. My name is John Reynolds, the host. This week, we are talking to the CEO of fintech lender Zopa, JDF Janadana. Thanks for joining us, uh, JDF. It's great you've taken time out to speak to us. Um, I guess most people know who's, who, what Zopa does, but for those who, the uninitiated, can we just get a, a potted history of your career today and a bit of an overview of Zopa? Brilliant. So uh, I've been, I'm Jay Dave. I've been at Zopa now for nine years. Prior to that, 12 years at Capital One. So I've been doing financial services uh, for uh, almost 20, uh, 20 plus years. Uh, Zopa started life uh, as a peer-to-peer lender. We are now a digital bank uh, that is uh, in the UK focused on uh, meeting people's borrowings and savings needs um, and uh, uh, have a uh, have about um, just crossed more than a million customers, about 250 million in run rate revenue and have um, uh, and have been profitable this year. Okay, that's fantastic. And what, just in terms of staff numbers, how many staff have you got approximately? We've got about 750 people uh, mm-hmm. working mostly in London and some in Stoke and some in Spain. Okay, that, that that's fantastic. So you might have preempted my first question, and it's slightly premature for this, given it's October and it's not the end of the year. But if I had to put you on the spot and say what's a, what's a highlight for you this year and what's been a, a low point, either business-wise or personal-wise, I mean, would it be the, the one million customers, or, or what? What would you what would you opt for? Uh, apart from this, yes, so I think uh, crossing a million customers, crossing uh, three billion in in deposits, uh, which which is a great mark for you know customers' trust in us and leaving money with us, as well as us being able to actually give them a healthy return on it. I think uh, uh, those two uh, would be would be the high points. What about any, any low points or, or not? Uh, well, actually, you know, I, w- I must touch wood. Uh, none that I can remember. Okay, right. Okay, so, I mean, a good starting point is, I mean, I think coinciding with that, the announcement about the million-plus customers, you announced your second uh, fundraise this year, which was in September. So you raised $75 million. This is in, in debt financing, and this was your Zopa's second fundraise you did an equity fundraise can, can you talk about obviously this comes amid an, an environment where it's um you know difficult fundraising environment how how difficult or how do these fundraisers compare to fundraisers you've undertaken in previous years yeah so uh, as you as you pointed out we raised uh, two sets of uh, 75 million pounds this year 150 million pounds uh, this year and for us uh, that's a testament of the support of the faith that our investors have in us uh, the business is is growing strongly uh, is profitable and when i look at the proposition which we offer today which is uh, you know responsibly priced credit um, compelling savings a way to manage your money which makes it easier n- none of that stuff has been ever more relevant than it is today given the cost of living crisis that customers are feeling so so we find ourselves actually uh, with strong customer demand and uh, and growth, and that combination has meant that uh, these fundraisers actually were not that hard. Uh, I must caveat it by saying that we did not we we did not have to and did not go uh, externally to raise this money. This was all done internally with existing investors because they they have seen the business perform, they believe in it, uh, and thus we were we had done it internally. And, and what's the just explain to 
what's the rationale behind doing debt financing this this time around then? So, uh, as a bank, uh, you have various sorts. So, I think I should go back to say, what is the capital for? Uh, as I mentioned before, we are profitable, uh, and we are profitable enough to actually continue to fund our growth uh, from an operational standpoint. But uh, as a bank, as you grow your balance sheet, uh, a certain percentage of that needs to be held as regulatory capital. So while we are profitable and capital generating, our growth actually outstrips how much capital we generate. So the capital has been raised mainly, actually purely, to be to serve as regulatory capital for our growing balance sheet. Uh, as a bank, you can get uh, that capital in two ways. One is equity, which shareholders give, which is called CET1 or Common Equity Tier 1. Or you can uh, get that as a Tier 2, uh, which is uh, which is long-term debt. Uh, and uh, uh, for shareholders, often, uh, and this is true for all banks, all actually more established banks, that uh, they will find the right mix between Common Equity and Tier 2 because it it is uh, the debt is less dilutive. Uh, it 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 helps shareholders more because you don't actually end up issuing more shares. So for a bank that is profitable, that can actually service that coupon reliably in the future, it's actually a good thing uh, for for shareholders uh, to be able to raise that as debt. Okay, that that's great. So um, one of the um, you, you mentioned that it was funded by existing investors, SoftBank, who I guess everyone will know weren't involved in the earlier. Um, round of investment i mean do we read much into that or i mean you presumably still have a relationship with them or i mean is this kind of part of the because obviously it's been well documented that they've been more careful about their investments at the moment so i think we have a very strong and supportive uh relationship with them uh and uh, they're you know they're uh, they have a seat on the board and they follow the business and and are uh, and are very supportive we were they did not participate in the round in the first round in the equity round that we raised in kind of december january of of, uh, of last year uh, i cannot speak for their reasons but i do know that uh, they believe in the business and they have you know uh, and they are supportive of the strategy that that we are taking Okay, that's great. And obviously, uh, as, as I mentioned before, it comes amid a you know, these fundraising come amid a difficult environment. I looked at the, um, from my understanding, the last the last kind of uh, valuation in the public domain of, of Zopa was in 2021 at around one one billion. So you know, achieving unicorn status, but presumably amid this climate, uh, the valuation would be le- you know considerably less than that now. Uh- that is not true of the fundraise we we did, uh, as we kind of uh, I think disclosed. While we haven't disclosed valuations, uh, specific valuations, we did say that uh, the uh, the equity raise we did earlier this year was actually cemented our status as as a unicorn. Right. Okay. Sorry, I stand uh, corrected. No, and just about the. I mean, you touched on the the one million customers plus. I mean, how, how significant is this? And obviously, you've. Um, Zopa's um, uh, got a broad uh, offering now across lending and saving products. So you've got personal loans, car finance, fixed-term savings, credit cards. Can you approximately kind of break down that one million down between where the customers sit? Yes. So, of course, there's some overlap, so it won't kind of add up uh, up properly. uh, we have about because you know some, there are some customers who add who have multiple products with us, right? So uh, we have approximately uh, two hundred thousand plus savers uh, of the one million. Um, uh, some of them do big fixed term, some of them do our ISAs, and actually a majority of them use our smart saver product, which has become very popular with our customers. Uh, we also have. Uh, uh, 
about uh, i mean credit cards is a is a large uh, is actually a single largest product uh, we only launched that at the time of the launch of the bank uh, and has become uh, our single largest product i think close to 400000 customers there uh, personal loans uh, again uh, uh, you know has been our oldest product and today we probably have order of magnitude 300 350000 customers are there so i think that's that's the high-level breakdown. Okay, that, that's great. Thanks very much, uh, Jadith. And just, I mean, you've mentioned the profitability uh, a few times already in this uh, interview. So I, I looked at the 2022 Zopa results. So you um, recorded a pre-tax loss, I think, of 22 million, but you're now saying, oh, for 2023, you'll be full year, you'll share a pre-tax full year profit. Is that right? That's our expectation, yes. We have right. been till date, and we expect that we will close the year as well. Still, to your point, three months to go. But yeah. And, just, and how, how do you get from that? How do you get from that that that, that loss to profit then? Just in very kind of simple terms. So if you look at our last year's uh, numbers, and then we disclosed this as well, I think uh, the reason we had a kind of a loss was uh, a newly adopted accounting standard called IFRS 9, which effectively where you have to recognize provisions uh, for expected losses over the next 12 to 15 months uh, of the of your loan book. Uh, if you actually looked at actually incurred losses or used the old accounting standard, which looked at people who are lost, who who have actually defaulted or were likely to in the next three to four months, then we actually made a profit uh, on that basis, and that's why I think that that is that we made a clear on the annual report. So as the you know as are the size of the business grows, as the size of uh, our balance sheet grows, uh, what we are able to do is actually produce more interest revenue uh, to actually more than cover our costs and our expected provisions, and that's what has happened this year. Okay, and um, you're probably sick and tired of being asked about uh, a possible IPO. So uh, <laughs> I, I think the last, on public record, I saw you gave an interview to City AM early this year and you, you quoted at the time, this is verbatim, I don't feel that the current UK economic environment is one where businesses such as us would want to go public at this juncture. I think that was in January. Is that, I mean, has your position changed since then? No, it hasn't. Uh, I think I, I would wholeheartedly agree about being sick and tired about being asked about that. But uh, but to answer your question, no, I, I I feel still feel, and if you look at, I mean, you don't have to look too far. You, to, you can look at bank valuations uh, in the UK public markets, uh, and, and on average, you know, they are. Uh, they are about probably about half uh, the historical averages in terms of price to earnings multipliers. Uh, a lot of those overhanging concerns that people have on the banking industry around commercial real estate, around uh, the fact that uh, there are you know a lot of these banks are funded on you know zombie accounts which they where they don't give any interest to to their savers. None of that is relevant for us, but the overarching. Uh, uh, and thus, we think our business is different and is actually performing very well. Uh, but the overarching um, uh, sentiment on banks uh, is still weak. The overarching sentiment on the UK economy is still of one of, I would say, concern. There continues to be a lot of geopolitical uncertainty. Uh, you know, what has happened in the Middle East is horrible uh, and will, I think, continue to create concern amongst people and investors so i feel you know we need we need a more positive outlook for the economy we need a a, a slightly more certain world before i think 
we would want to go public. And I think, again, we are lucky that we have a business that is profitable uh, and has the support of existing investors. So we are in no hurry to, uh, to, go, to, to go public. Okay, and, and that, that's fantastic. That's very eloquent. Just, just, just on that, you mentioned what's the, 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 the awfulness of what's happened in the Middle East. I mean, how does that, what bearing does that have on an investor sentiment and how, how would that potentially um, impact a business, business like that? I think, uh, it's a, I think it's a, maybe, an, maybe an obvious thing, a truism, but that businesses and investors like certainty, right? So, and over the last two to three years, if you look at, the uh, the level of uncertainty that, that has been around has been very large. Now, what happens in the Middle East? It's hard to predict, but there is conflict. It's a it's a place you know where uh, the world still gets a lot of its oil from. So, they, I'm assuming there will be concerns around you know the uh, the conflict actually uh, uh, spreading and thus mm-hmm. putting pressure on oil prices again, driving a new layer new uh, potential inflation scare. Uh, there is. There is the, of course, the tremendous humanitarian uh, cost of what is happening there, and what does that do to, you know, people's ability or countries, the West's ability to support the war in Ukraine, and what does what are the implications? So there are many, uh, and it's still a very rapidly developing situation right mm-hmm. now as we speak. So there are many potential scenarios where this can go. Uh, where you know this can get worse, and and when that happens, then investors tend to be careful with their money, and they like to put that in cash rather than in stocks. Okay, that that's very interesting. So slightly change of tack, just moving back to the business. So you made this the um, acquisition of the um, uh, divide by the the buy now pay later yep. business, and I, was, I looked at the press release, and you called it BMPL two point zero, and your you quote there. You seem to have a pop at perhaps some of the incumbents, or you know, um, you said this is again you're quoting you uh, on the purchase. You you said the purchase um, addressing some of the issues around affordability and responsible lending, yeah. which have plagued the, the, the sector. So can you can can you give us a bit of colour around that, and what what what's the point of difference then to perhaps some of those existing providers? Yeah, I think we have been very vocal on the fact that while BNPL provides some convenience and to some people some value, uh, the way it has it has developed uh, has huge risk of consumer detriment, and we have been very vocal for ask of regulation, and we in fact are disappointed that some of the regulation hasn't yet come through. The key concerns that we have here are a fewfold. One, uh, you know, historically, these these providers haven't provided uh, data back to credit bureaus around how much people have borrowed. Uh, and that makes it very hard for people like other lenders to actually make responsible decisions on whether uh, more, more credit should be extended or not. And that clearly creates a risk of financial detriment. Two, uh, it is not clear that when when this credit is given to customers, that affordability checks and creditworthiness checks are made. Uh, and three, it's also not very clear that the disclosures and the uh, financial promotion associated with this makes it very clear that this is credit, and if you fail to pay it, uh, then there are there are kind of consequences uh, to customers. So those were the uh, things. Those were the specific things that we were. Uh, very worried about, and when we thought about BNPL 2.0, our thinking was that we need to we need to tackle those issues, uh, be clear with credit bureau reporting, uh, do 
affordability and creditworthiness checks uh, in an appropriate fashion. Tell customers that this is credit uh, and make the appropriate disclosure so that they make a more informed decision. Uh, and that's what we have. The products that we lend through uh, through the through that acquisition actually meets meets those criteria. Okay, and I mean there have been reports of. Um um, um, consumers u- uh, using buy now, pay later to buy kind of takeaways and, and groceries, and uh, I guess campaigners have been shocked and angry about this. And I mean, what's your take on that? Do you think customers should be buying everyday items like groceries on on buy now, pay later? Well, uh, it's my view is. Um, that buy now pay later makes more sense for uh, for bigger ticket items where you know as a customer you can get a long term long term utility of it. So for example, uh, the market the businesses we operate in are more focused on home furnishings, mm-hmm. things like dentistry, where you have you know that your average. Uh, ticket size, if you will, or basket size, uh, is eight hundred pounds or a thousand pounds. Uh, where it makes sense that it's a large enough purchase, customers making that in a considered fashion, and having the ability to spread your spread the payment over a, over a few months makes a lot of sense. Uh, so we think the BNPL is more suitable for uh, products like that, and that's where we are focused on. Uh, to be honest, we haven't actually. Uh, talk to customers about smaller ticket items and why are they doing that so there might be good reasons for that but that's not that's not a business we are in okay that's great so just talk about the obviously um the figures you know say that things are going really well at Zopa. so so just moving forward um can you i mean within the the, the various strands of the business uh, lending and saving which parts of the business is going to be the kind of driver um, moving forward, and obviously you, you've got the banking license now, and appreciate my ignorance. But I mean, which, how would you, how can you further leverage that? Which obviously you've got credit cards. I mean, which other areas can you go into with that? Yeah, so I mean, we are seeing actually strong growth across both our lending and savings products. Uh, so if you if you think about it, I think people are uh, going through a cost of living crisis, dealing with inflation, and thus the uh, savings products that allow, give them a competitive return, allow them a uh, reasonable amount of flexibility in terms of compartmentalizing their money, some that they weren't always accessible because who knows when we might need it, some that they're actually willing to lock up for uh, small parts of time, some they're willing to lock up for longer times and actually getting a better reward for those choices. So those products are very much in demand. And similarly, you know, for others who might not have the savings or w- want to do some dis- you know, some discretionary spending, having responsibly priced credit is, again, uh, something that's very valuable and relevant. And thus, you know, we are seeing st- strong growth across both of those uh, uh, areas, and I would expect that to continue uh, for the coming years. But, you know, we are not happy just staying true to that. I think, you know, we want to actually uh, do more for our customers, and that's where I think your point on the banking license really helps. Uh, we need to, I think we are thinking about how do we, how do we create products that actually enable people to, uh, you know, ma- manage their money overall better? Uh, that is maybe uh, as well as kind of spend on a regular basis better. So I think I would expect that we'll be launching more products that actually uh, beyond the ones that we have today that help customers manage their money uh, in a in a better fashion, uh, and that that'll be in 2024. Okay, but you can't give us any more insight into what those products would, would likely be. Or? I think uh, you know we are we are keen to look at uh, a, a few things. We are keen to look at uh, 
uh, open banking and how that can help people manage their fragmented uh, financial kind of life better. Uh, uh, we are looking at uh, how can we give more people more more value for for spending that they do on a regular basis. Uh, so those those are the nature of products that we're looking at. Uh, but we will, I think, we can share more detail hopefully in the coming months. Okay, that's great. So I just wanted to touch up on your um, personal uh, management style. A, a few weeks ago, I interviewed the uh, chief exec and co-founder of GoCardless. Hiroki uh, Takuchi, and um, he, they had some, unfortunately had some job cuts this year, but at the same time, they kind of issued, or he issued a new, um, some kind of changes to the um, uh, culture, and he said that he wanted higher expectations, and uh, he told me uh, that at the time, GoCardos was growing its cost base faster than its revenue base. I just wondered at Zopa, I mean, you're, I think, 18 years old now do, do you i don't really know what constitutes a startup these these days but i mean do you perceive do you still see uh zopa as a as a startup and do you think i mean do you still kind of um your management style i mean is that um do, do you still want to kind of um have that ethos as a startup or is it a more kind of uh, a, a grown-up business now yeah i mean i don't know if it's a startup scale up don't know what the words to use for it is but i do know that we are far closer to the beginning of our journey than towards the end so there is a lot more to be done uh so we are hungry we're ambitious we want to grow so it is definitely a kind of high growth business for sure. Um, and the way we think about it is, you know, uh, we are very proud of the culture we've created. Uh, uh, we have been recognized by that externally. We recently won, I think, the second most loved workplace uh, in the UK uh, by Newsweek. Our cluster scores are great. And the way we try and achieve that by is saying, you know, I think, you know, we are ambitious. We want to really... Uh, go there and make a difference to our customers' lives. Uh, but we want to do that in a way where people, when they step into the office or sometimes nowadays log into Zoom or you know s- switch on their computer in the morning, actually uh, do that with a smile uh, because they really enjoy the people they work with. Those people are smart, uh, high caliber, but they are also collaborative and nice. Uh, and thus we create a culture where it, which really inspires people to do great things rather than pressurizes them to do great things. So that's the kind of culture we want to generate. So I do want uh, to have people walk around in the office uh, with a smile, and I try to lead by example there. Okay, you right. You mentioned Glassdoor. You're right there. So I looked at your chief exec approval rating, which was 99%, and I had a, a brief uh, as a journalist to try and find some, well, positive and negative, but it was mostly um, positive, as you say. I mean, I guess one... Um, uh, one negative which came up more than one occasion was the kind of the um, the benefits package and the overall pay at Zopa. I mean, are you aware that um, staff this is an issue? But I think that the sentiment I got was that the uh, it might not be that competitive with uh, traditional finance companies, but Zopa had made kind of inroads in this direction. Yeah, so I think we we want to continuously invest in the. Uh, in the benefit proposition and pay, we, if you want to attract the best people, then they they need they f- need to feel that they are being valued uh, and that they are being taken care of. And you know we have we have made huge improvements on actually both of those things. But at the same time, it's also very important for us to. We've always believed that uh, you know we are a responsible business, and as a responsible business, you need to you need to kind of 
pay your way through 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 life um and uh, and we create a and that has meant that you know uh, we haven't always been able to uh, keep up with the latest and greatest that uh, uh, that for example some of the legacy banks might be able to do but on the flip side uh, i think you know uh, i'm very proud that over the last couple of years well a lot of fintechs have had to uh, cut costs and cost, cut costs in a way that are uh, that are detrimental to kind of their people we haven't had to do that uh, to anywhere that degree uh, and that comes from that responsibility uh, the ethos of responsibility that we have towards our people that we want to not in good times overspend such that in bad times then we have to take r- radical action we also cre- uh, i think going back create a culture uh, where i think people really enjoy and learn uh, and i think that's as an overall package even if uh, you know pay and benefits might not be what uh, uh, big legacy banks are want to give as an overall package i feel it's a far more attractive uh, uh, employee proposition and that i think again kind of course uh, is is proven by the fact of some of the awards we win some of the recognition we win and the customer and the employee attrition that we see that said you know i you know one of my dreams and desires is that the company be, you know continues to grow becomes more profitable serves its customers well such that we can continue to reward our employees even more okay that's fantastic and last couple of questions so i um i recently saw you as, as i mentioned um prior to the recording at an innovate finance event which i think well i think you were talking about this uh, collaborative venture the, the fintech pledge with, with clearscore can you for those who don't know about it, can you give us a bit of an, an overview of that? And how's it going? Yes. So this was an idea that uh, we came up with uh, through the beginning of the uh, cost of living crisis, where we felt that uh, fintech as as a whole could do more to help customers. Uh, we are while we are all you know uh, uh, running businesses, I think there are things we can do together to drive customer actions that can help themselves. And we felt there were a few actions that customers can do for themselves that can be better improve their financial uh, health and resilience. If they have savings, move it to an account that's actually savings, giving them some return rather than leaving it with legacy banks where they pay you nothing to you know, give uh, actually monitoring your credit score uh, on a regular basis and, and taking actions to improve that. Three, reducing your cost of debt if it is possible by consolidating your debt to lower cost uh, uh, option that might be available and we created debt consolidation calculators to enable people to do that and largely looking at your monthly outgoings broadband uh, uh, you know and some of the other things and see if we can lower the cost of that and the pledge is really about customer encouraging people to actually actively take those actions and and make their financials uh, uh, more resilient and we've been able to over the last uh, year of the pledge have about uh, 30, 35 companies join us uh, in, uh, and commit to that. And as a result, there have been about 7 million actions that customers have taken that will that has improved their, through their lives. And our ambition is to actually continue on that. Uh, and uh, our initial ambition was to hit to 10 million actions by 2025. It seems we will exceed that, which we are very happy about. But now we're thinking about how do we expand that uh, and do even more. Uh, okay, Jada, Jada, I really, we really appreciate you taking time out. I realise you're, you're very busy, but uh, you've been very eloquent and forthcoming. So thanks a million. And that's all the time we've got for this edition of Tech EU's What Do You Know About FinTech? If you've liked the show or not, go ahead and hit subscribe, like, rate us, tell your mom, tell your dad, tell your brother, hell, tell your dog if you like. 
We'll see you next time.